Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and how it informs our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live here in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. So we've been talking about beauty and love and about the union of masculine and feminine energies in the cosmos and in our own consciousness. Today we're going to continue that conversation using the story of Psyche and Eros. Last week I told the first half of this story, which is taken from Greek mythology and first appeared in written form in Apuleius's novel The Golden Ass, which was written in the 2nd century AD. So we're talking about a really old story, which I have to say kind of blows my mind in terms of the depth of its psychology. And as an aside, I think it's testimony to just how useful these old myths and stories can be. As human beings, we really haven't changed a whole heck of a lot. So let's begin with the recap of the first part that I told last week, uh, just to get you back up to speed. So we have Psyche, who is an extraordinarily beautiful young woman. So beautiful that she attracts adoration and attention from the people. And they ignore the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the goddess of love and beauty. And she becomes jealous and sends her son Eros to avenge her by making sure that Psyche falls in love with the vilest man possible. Eros, as the young son of the love goddess, is also known to us as Cupid, with his dangerous arrows. And that's how Eros is going to accomplish this task. He will shoot Psyche with an arrow that inspires tremendous love at a time when the next person that she's going to see will be somebody horrible. And there you have it. In the meantime... Psyche's parents have consulted the Oracle of Apollo about the fact that she is still single, even though she's really beautiful, and they've been told that she will not have a mortal husband and must be left alone on a mountaintop to meet her supernatural husband of some sort, presumably to be married and die. Everyone thinks that she's going to be marrying a monster including Psyche. But Eros sees her up there on the mountaintop, and she's so beautiful that he accidentally pricks himself on one of his own arrows and becomes her loving husband. Psyche and Eros live a carefree, blissful life in a beautiful palace in a magical valley, and everything is grand except, except... Psyche is not allowed to see her husband. She spends her days alone, waited on by invisible servants, and Eros only comes to her in the darkness of night. Although she asks him to let her see him, he always says no. And Psyche goes along with this for a while. Then she gets pregnant. And just an aside there on the symbol of that, 
We've got the birth here coming of something new. She gets pregnant, and her longing to share her good fortune with her family, who she knows must be grieving because the last time they saw her, they left her on a mountaintop to be married to a monster. Her, her longing intensifies, and Eros reluctantly agrees to arrange a visit with Psyche's sisters. The sisters come, and they fan the embers of doubt in Psyche's mind about the true identity of her mysterious husband. Psyche disobeys Eros and lights a lamp while he is sleeping. He is so beautiful that she falls even more deeply in love with him and pricks herself on an arrow. But when a drop of hot oil from her lamp falls on his shoulder and burns him, he awakens, and immediately the god leaves in a flurry of disappointment and anger at her betrayal. Psyche is alone. The palace and the garden and the husband are all gone. They all evaporate. That's where we left Psyche last week. She made a mistake, a mistake that is destined, if you will, and that propels her to the next stage of her life from an unconscious, innocent state. Remember last week I equated that beautiful garden in the palace with the Garden of Eden. She's now going to be propelled to a new level. The question is, how will this be accomplished? Let's return to the story and find out. So I invite you now to sit back, relax, take in the story, and simply notice what you notice. Psyche and Eros, Part 2 The following morning when Psyche woke up, she was all alone, lying on the hard ground, no sign of the garden or the palace or her husband. She was weary, she was sad, and she was confused. Now what? The only thing she could think was to find Eros again. And so she began wandering in the first direction that appeared to her. She wandered day and night in search of her husband. But there was no sign of him. Then one day she looked up and saw a magnificent temple at the top of a mountain. Perhaps my love, my lord, lives there, she thought. And she made her way up to the temple and to the door. When she entered, she found heaps of corn and sheaves of wheat and barley all carelessly scattered about. Psyche understood then that this was a temple to Demeter and these offerings to her that were scattered all around should not be in such a state of confusion. Her piety was offended. So she organized the offerings and put each thing in its place. While she was sweeping the floor, the goddess herself appeared. I know who you are, my dear Psyche, said Demeter, and I'm sorry for what has befallen you. But Aphrodite is my kinswoman, so I cannot help you. This matter is between you and that fair goddess, but here is my advice. Go to her voluntarily and offer yourself up with modesty 
and beg her forgiveness. This is your only hope to be reunited with your husband. Psyche thanked the goddess and decided to take her advice. What did she have to lose, after all? She knew that the encounter could be fatal. And as she walked, she pondered what to say and how best to appease Aphrodite. When she arrived at Aphrodite's temple, the goddess was there, fuming with anger. Oh, so you finally remember Aphrodite now, she raged. The source of all that is fair and beautiful. Or maybe you've come to visit your poor, wounded husband. What kind of a wife are you? You are so ill-favored and disagreeable. The only way you can merit your lover must be by dint of industry and diligence. Forget beauty. I will make a trial of your housewifery. Aphrodite ordered Psyche to be led to the temple storehouse. And there was a huge mound of various seeds, wheat, barley, millet, vetches, beans, and lentils, all food for the goddess's pigeons. See this huge pile of seeds, said Aphrodite. I want you to take and separate all of these grains. Put all of the same kind in a pile by themselves and see that you get us all done before evening. Then she left, closing the door firmly behind her. Psyche looked at the mound of seeds, dumbfounded. Sorting these seeds was impossible. So she sat down on the stone floor, stupid and silent, without moving a finger. What would she do with this heap? Despair filled her heart, and she began to weep. But then a little ant appeared, a child of the earth. He felt compassion for Psyche, and so did his mates. The whole troop approached the heap, and with the utmost diligence, taking grain by grain, the ants separated the entire pile, sorting each kind. When it was all done, they quickly vanished out of sight. Aphrodite returned at twilight, and when she saw that the task was done, she exclaimed, Well, this is no work of yours. Miserable wretch, you've had help, help from Eros, who has caused you and him great misfortune. But I am not done with you, oh no. The next morning, Aphrodite called Psyche to her again and said, I have another task for you, miserable creature. There, in that grove, which stretches alongside the river, is a flock of sheep with fleece of shining gold. They have no shepherd. Go and fetch me a sample of that precious wool gathered from every one of their fleeces. Psyche obediently went to the riverside, prepared to do her best to execute the command. But once again, the task was impossible, and her heart was full of despair. 
but a humble and friendly reed growing by the side of the river whistled to her and offered some advice. Psyche, it said, those are solar-powered rams, and under the influence of the sun, they will tear you to pieces, or gore you, and trample you under their sharp hooves. Wait until the late afternoon, when they rest in the shade. Then these animals are peaceful. Then you may safely cross over, and collect the wool that is caught in the brambles without disturbing the animals. This was sound advice. And Psyche did as the reed instructed. She waited until the sun was low. She crossed the river and safely gathered armfuls of the golden fleece for Aphrodite. But when the goddess saw that she had completed this second task, she was not happy. Oh, no. I know that you had help, she said, and I am not satisfied yet that you have any capacity to make yourself useful. But no mind. I have another task for you, dear Psyche. Take this crystal flask and go to the top of that rocky mountain over there where the deep cold waters pour forth from the rocks and bring me back just a little. Mind the sharp stones now. And beware of the dragons who guard the banks. And most importantly, don't spill a drop on your way back. This task was even more difficult than the first two. Once again, Psyche's heart was full of despair, and tears filled her eyes. Those were very sharp rocks. Those were fire-breathing dragons with long, sharp claws and it was a considerable walk to the river. But Psyche went to the base of the deadly stream, and as she was standing there, an eagle flew overhead. It was Zeus's eagle, Zeus the god who knew of her plight. The eagle swooped down and took the crystal flask from her hands, and with powerful strokes of its mighty wings, it flew to the mountaintop, safely sailed past the dragons, and dipped the crystal flask into the water. In moments, this difficult deed was done, and Psyche returned to the angry Aphrodite with the water she had requested. This is ridiculous, said the goddess. You can accomplish nothing alone, but that I do require. I have another task for you. Here, take this box and find your way to Hades, to the underworld, to the land of mists and shades. When you get there, give this box to the deathless Persephone and say, My mistress Aphrodite desires you to send her a little of your beauty, for in tending her sick son, she has lost some of her own. Be quick with this errand now, for I must paint myself with this beauty to appear at the circle of the gods and goddesses this evening. Now Psyche knew for sure that she was doomed. No mortal went down into the underworld, and certainly no mortal went down into the underworld and came back up. 
All was definitely lost. She climbed to the top of a nearby tower, determined to simply throw herself off and thus descend to Hades in the shortest possible way. But as she stood trembling on the ledge, a voice from the tower said to her, If you do this, you will certainly end up in Hades, dear Psyche, but without a way to return. Listen to me. I know a better way. Then the voice told her about a certain cave where she could find the long rocky road down to the underworld. It told her about Chiron, the ferryman, and Cerebrus, the three-headed dog who guarded the banks of the river Styx. They're both scary, but they aren't as scary as they look, said the tower. They'll both accept payment, so take two coins and two cakes, and you can pay each of them on the way in and on the way out. But the voice added, You will see pitiful creatures and great mysteries in the underworld. But you must not stop to listen or give aid. Harden your heart, Psyche. When you reach the throne of Persephone, she will offer you a banquet meal and a soft couch upon which to rest. And you will indeed be hungry and tired. But accept nothing except a crust of bread and be sure to sit on the ground. When you have the box, you must come back straight away, and whatever you do, do not open it. Psyche listened carefully to the voice of the tower, and the instructions gave her hope. So she climbed down, collected her coins and her cakes, and found the cave and the long rocky road. To the underworld. Her journey to Hades progressed just as the tower had predicted. When she got to the river Styx, there was the dog and the ferryman. She gave the ferryman his coin and tossed the dog a cake, and she was allowed to get on the boat. When she was crossing the river Styx, a drowning old man appeared, his arms stretching up through the waves, and he begged her for pity, but she did not make a move on his behalf, although it pained her greatly to see his suffering. When they got to the other side, she took up the road to Persephone's palace, and on the way she met a pathetic old man who was anxiously tying and untying a piece of black and white cord. For some reason, this man tried to gain her attention, but she did not Give it. When she got to Persephone's gates, three mysterious old women sat there weaving, and they waved to her, but Psyche ignored them too. The great deathless queen of the dead, Persephone, greeted her warmly. You must be hungry and tired, she said. Here, I will have a feast prepared and you may take a seat on my soft couch. No, thank you, said Psyche. I am here to have this box filled with some of your beauty for my mistress Aphrodite. I'll take a crust of bread 
and a seat right here on the ground is just fine. Thus she refused the meal and the comfort, and at last she had the box full of beauty and began the long journey back up to the surface. The road back up out of the underworld seemed even steeper than the road back down, and the rocks were sharp and they cut her feet and the box seemed incredibly, surprisingly heavy. And she was tired and stumbled. At last, Psyche got to the top, and she was so relieved and happy to be back into the light of day. She had been down to the underworld and back up again. Amazing! She allowed herself at last to recall her fair husband, and to actually imagine that she just might see him again after all. He was a fair and glorious God, gentle and loving. Oh, her passion was strong for him. She loved him so deeply. Yes, she thought, hmm, he was a God, and she, she was a mere mortal. He had fallen in love with her because she was beautiful. But after all of her wandering, she was just a tired pregnant woman who hadn't spared a moment to wash her hair or tend her clothes. Oh my God, she must look awful. She was contemplating a reunion with Eros and yet look at her state. Oh, Psyche thought she had to do something to be sure to please her husband after all of this time. And you know, hmm, she thought, I, she, I have this box, this box that contains the beauty of the goddess. Surely just a little bit of that beauty could be spared Psyche carefully opened the box. A mist rose from the emptiness and put her into a death-like sleep. She fell down motionless in the middle of the road. Eros, in the meantime, had recovered from his wound. He'd left the house of his mother Aphrodite and was looking for his dear wife Psyche. He longed for his beloved, and he flew to the spot where she lay. He saw her there in the middle of the road, and he saw the box and the sleep that enveloped her. He gathered up the mist, lifting it from her face as if it were a veil, and returned it to the box. Then with a slight prick from one of his arrows, she was awake. They were so happy to see each other, and they embraced. Then Eros said, All is not done. Wait here, and I will take care of the rest. Yes, there was still the problem, ladies and gentlemen, of the jealous mother. Eros flew to Mount Olympus, and there he went before Zeus, the mighty father of all the gods. He explained the trials of Psyche. 
He described their deep love for each other. And Zeus decided that the lovers should be allowed to stay together. Even Aphrodite was eventually persuaded. She is the goddess of love, after all. And Hermes was sent back down to retrieve Psyche. He brought her up to Mount Olympus with all of the immortal gods, and Zeus handed her a cup of ambrosia. Drink this, Psyche, he said, and be immortal too. These nuptials shall be perpetual. And so Psyche and Eros were married on Mount Olympus, and thus Psyche became at last united forever with Eros. In due time, their daughter was born, and they named her Pleasure. Wow. So Psyche, as soul, is joined to desire, which is the god Eros, and the result is pleasure. Imagine that. I have to wonder what the world would be like if more of us paid more attention to our soul's deepest desires and tried to satisfy them. This union is one of the deep truths about life, I think, and it's relevant to our relationships with the others inside us as well as those outside. This story is a tale of transformation on both levels, the inner psychological, yes, psyche, psychological, (laughs) and the outer. Psyche and Eros are each transformed And what exists between them, their marriage, is also taken to a deeper, more conscious level. As we discussed last week, that addition of the light and the impulse to see is a yearning for greater consciousness and a yearning to truly see each other, to move out of the blindness of projection. My fascination with this myth begins with the name Psyche. In the Greek, this means soul, and it also means butterfly. That's the image that the Greeks connected to soul. And butterflies, as we know, carry the potential for deep transformation. The cycle from caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly can be applied to this story. We can take this period of uh, the desperate wandering and the tasks and the constant crying for help, which was Psyche's time of darkness, as the time that she was in the cocoon, a time that requires endurance and trust in the process. There are so many interesting motifs and patterns in this stories that I'm going to talk about it again next week. We'll do a little bit of a recap, and then I will go back to some of the symbols, because I'm sure you're imagining or wondering what, what's up with the ants and the seeds. What does that mean? Why did she have to do that? Why did she have to take the crystal flask? What was the voice from the tower? And of course, there's lots of ways to read this story, but there are some, um, there are some answers that I can give or some suggestions that I can make to take you deeper into the story. So, we'll return to that next week, but I've got time to give you one more piece to contemplate until we meet again. So we sense the transformation of Psyche 
in the story because it's basically about her ordeal. She completes the tasks. But what about Eros? He seems to come in and then he's gone the whole time that Psyche is working and then he wings in at the end. Well, consider this. At the beginning of the story, Eros is a headstrong young man who has never suffered the consequences of his own arrows, not until he pricks himself. So this god of longing and desire had never been compelled by longing and desire, which we know is its essence. Then he falls in love, and he's wounded for the first time also. He's wounded because he's burnt by the oil from Psyche's lamp and her seeming betrayal. So Eros understands something about love that he previously couldn't grasp. And this may be the explanation for why, when he recovers, his desire is to go and find Psyche, his wife, his beloved, rather than to just go back to shooting other random people and wrecking havoc in other folks' lives. His healing brings the desire to be in conscious relationship with her. And so then he saves her. Now, lots of people have trouble with that part of the story and the way that Eros kind of wings in again at the end. And I know it seems overly convenient that we could have this woman, the feminine, laboring through this whole story, and then at the end, she's got to be saved, quote-unquote, by the prince. But we're going to look into that more next week. So on that note, that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook, or feel free to email me at mythicmojo.com at gmail.com. I'd like you to consider yourself invited to the High Desert Mythological Roundtable, by the way, which will meet again on Tuesday, June 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Red Arrow Gallery in Joshua Tree. We're currently talking about the Greek myth, the Odyssey, which is an amazing story. And even if you don't know it and haven't been coming to the roundtable, um, feel free to join us because we can easily get you up to speed. Special thanks uh, to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to Rags and Bones for producing this show and most of all to you for listening. Please tune in next week and in the meantime, happy myth making and keep the mystery in your life alive.